Anti-trans bigots and the far right have been mobilising to shut down drag queen storytime events. And unfortunately, so far they've succeeded, with at least 11 such rainbow events being cancelled or driven online in Melbourne in recent weeks. Far-right groups such as the My Place Network have described drag story time as, quotes, child grooming events and, quotes, pure evil and disgusting. And they're tapping into a broader transphobia fed by sections of the media, politicians such as Moira Deeming, who was recently expelled from the Liberal Party in Victoria, and so-called trans-exclusionary radical feminists, or TERFs, in academia and elsewhere. This bigotry is a worldwide phenomenon, from the US to Britain and from Hungary to Uganda. Politicians who can't offer real solutions to the problems workers face, such as rampant inflation and inadequate health and welfare, turn to hatred and divide and rule to bolster their power. But there's also a worldwide response to stand up to bigotry. In Melbourne, the Rainbow Community Angels, some of whom wear giant wings, gathered outside Eltham Library after an event there was transferred online. They danced and ridiculed a pathetic bunch of bigots huddled on the other side of the road. We'll need to build even bigger mobilisations so long as the anti-trans bigots keep on organising. We won't let the haters win. To discuss the rise of anti-drag queen hatred and how to fight back, I'm joined by two people. First up, I talk with Dean Arcuri. Dean is a cabaret comedian, entertainer and MC based in Melbourne who performs around the country. He also performs as his queerer alter ego, Frock Hudson. In that role, he's an ambassador for the Out in the Open Festival and Chill Out Festival. My second guest is Geraldine Fowler, a researcher at Macquarie University and a member of Solidarity. You're listening to The Sound of Solidarity, brought to you by Solidarity. We're a revolutionary socialist group in Australia, and if you'd like to find out more about us, our website is solidarity.net.au. I'm David Glanz, and I'm recording this episode on unceded Wurundjeri land in Narm, or Melbourne. Okay, welcome, Dean. First up, could you tell listeners a little about yourself? How did you get into show business? Well, show business has kind of always been in me, uh, I think is the best way to say it. I've always wanted to be a performer. Uh, Ever since I was young, I've been trying to figure out what that means, which meant trying every musical instrument under the sun until I realised that singing is what I like to do on my own instrument, as well as as a young kid, um, mum and dad insisted, got to do a sport, so I'd play basketball. But uh, even though I was good at that, and I was grew tall very quickly for my age, being a young Italian boy, so I was on a lot of those teams. For me, it was more about dancing or drama, so I do that at the same time. So I've always wanted, it's always been in me, it's always part of what I do, and it's been the direction of my life, whether it's what school I'm going to go to, or high school I'm going to go to, or how I'm going to make this a career. So it's just always been in me. Fantastic. Now, what led you to invent the persona Frock Hudson? Well, I've been performing for many, many years and knocking on many, many doors, over 20 years, in fact. And uh, as a young person was repeatedly told, we don't need a pizza delivery driver in Neighbours right now or something like that. Looking very Italian, I, I was always typecast in a certain way. Of course, this is before, like, underbelly and things like that. And now, you know, the only option was really, we don't have a role on Acropolis now. 
But um, so performing is something I've been doing all my life. And as I was getting older and realizing, all right, I'm hitting certain um, walls or things in regard to it as a gay entertainer, I was putting on weight. I was going a little gray and I kind of thought, all right, well, what what is the shape of that look like for me? And because I'm always thinking, I thought, you know, in 10 years, Jean may not be of interest. There'll be a young or shinier entertainer out there uh, on the scene. And I don't want to just be that old guy that won't go away. So how will I shake things up? And I've tried, I tried for many years not to do drag because there were so many amazing drag performers that already do a wonderful job. Why should I try to be like them? And then I realized I could add another feather in the cap of what I already do as an entertainer. So about seven years ago, just over seven, well, eight years ago, I decided, you know, I wanted to step into the space of drag and figure out what that would mean. It took a good six months to come up with a name. Once I had the name, the rest kind of started falling together. And uh, Frock was born. Uh, the thing about Frock is Frock is obviously a man in a dress. I'm not trying to be a female impersonator. I have great respect for many other wonderful, talented people that do it and do it a lot better than I ever could. But I'm, I'm, it's my queerer alter ego. And Frock was kind of born and has evolved since then. Now, you've told me that as Dean, your pronouns are a he. Uh, how does Frock identify? Well, this is the fun one. A lot of people know me as Jean, entertainer, community darling. I do a lot of stuff in the LGBTIQA plus spaces all around Australia. I've also been a journalist for many years and a photographer. So people know me even as many different things. So when I'm dressed as Frock, it means that some people will still call me he, him. Uh, will say a lot of uh, straight people think they have to say she and Yas Queen. And uh, really, at the end of the day, I don't mind. So what I say where Frock's concerned is pronouns are personal to every person that uses them. I don't mind if you use my real name, my performing name. You say he, because I'm obviously a man in a dress, or Yas Queen she, because you think that's how you have to talk to a drag queen. Or they them, as long as you use any of those terms with respect, I'm happy. No worries. And look, what does drag mean for you? Uh, it's obviously become for reasons we'll discuss in a minute, a really contested space. Yes, yes. What, 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 what's its significance for you? As an entertainer and as a gay entertainer, it's a great space of expression and it's a great space and place to be, to be able to perform. I love that I can perform as Jean and also then put on a little bit more makeup and perform as Frock. And it's two different elements of entertainment for different audiences, depending on what they mean. It becomes a great expression of inclusion uh, for many people in the LGBTIQA plus communities, you know, and, and the spaces of what that means. But it also shows people that anyone can do this if you've got a dream and a wish. And it's a lot of fun. Mm. Now, I mean, drags come under attack by elements of the far right. I mean, and in fact, in the United States, there are some states which are trying to pretty much outlaw it. But most of the far right here and around the world are focusing on what to me is a relatively new phenomenon of drag queen story time or rainbow story yeah. times. So they're absolutely picking up the thread of what is going on in the US, like literally picking up the same terminology, same things like that, and uh, trying to apply that to where they live. And when Frock turns up and performs and reads a story or reads a book to children, how do they respond? How do children respond? Or yeah. how do the people... How do the oh, children, children respond? love it. Like, they think it's great, they love the colour, they love the ridiculousness. In fact, I've done story times that have gone for longer than the library would normally hold them because they're like, hey, this is how you're able to keep the kids focused. Kids love it. 
one, they love hearing stories. They love the way in which they're told, but they love the colour and fun that comes with a drag performer because it's just dress up at the end of the day and kids love to dress up and run around and have fun. Yeah. And do librarians ever give you feedback about, or or for that matter, parents give you feedback about children reading more because they've come to the story time? I mean, presumably that's part of the, the aim of the exercise. Well, remember with Storytime, we're dealing with kids of a lot of different ages. So while the parents might not give that feedback, it's the fact that they love coming to their libraries. Kids have books that they like and they they love learning about new and different things. Uh, I think one of the things I love is when I come to Storytime, I, I have tons of different books and I let the kids pick at points what they want to see or hear. And they might just like the picture on the color, cover or they may actually just know the book and nine out of ten times this is the book that i like we read that at home or i've read that we've read this in the library before can we read that one again you know they're all a part of it so we get to you know pick the books and read them out together and sometimes i get to learn of a whole new book that i didn't even realize Mm. now there's been a spate of far-right protests against uh, drag queen story times and there's been a lot especially in melbourne a lot have been abandoned or occasionally have sort of retreated to being online as or in uh, secret to be honest which is really terrible like what's happening now is is the harassment that's happened in regard to this rhetoric that these individuals are choosing to use and are absolutely taking from america um it has led to first we saw a lot of cancellations um or postponements and the thing that was really nuts about that is because everyone didn't know what to do a lot of the councils hadn't experienced this kind of harassment that they were getting harassment from people calling from all around the country having a go at them for having a story time which they do regularly and uh, it's just been really really awful yeah i mean how do you feel when you see the far right mobilizing and you see events at which you as a performer a, a book to appear being cancelled i mean how does that leave, make you feel Look, it pisses me off. Uh, I'm not going to lie. As an entertainer, it's not a new experience for me being a freelance entertainer and having events. You know, events get dropped for many, many different reasons. Uh, but in this regard, uh, it's a, what's really upsetting about it is the fact that I know that it's not something that anyone wants to be doing. You know, a lot of people look on, on the outside and just see the announcement of the postponement or cancellation. They're like, no, you're letting them win. What are you doing? But I know what's really going on behind the scenes. Because you've got to remember, I'm an entertainer that's booked to be able to come and do something that already exists within the framework of, of the space or the library or the organisation that wants to be doing it. You know, it's not me doing something independently and forcing it onto everyone, which is very much a narrative that's being communicated even though that's absolutely untrue. It's people working together to create inclusive, um, diverse events. And I know how much, how hard it is for them to get to a point where they have to actually pull the pin and say, we need to postpone and cancel. But it also speaks to the coordinated harassment and bullying that is occurring. Uh, It's really targeted and really awful. An example I'll give, the event, I'm sure we'll touch on the event in Eltham. Um, When we were doing that, I didn't realise that I was going to be the last story time standing in Victoria Um, within like four days. It was suddenly that was it. I was the last one left. And because of that attention, we had to go online. Um, We still did an event outside the library, reading stories to children, and it was wonderful. But the thing in regard to it is the library didn't want to not do this. I'd done it at the library before, and it was wonderful. The parents didn't want it to not happen. The families really enjoy it, and the kids get a kick out of it. But they received multiple phone calls. In fact, I think it was like 100 and... it, It was over 150 phone calls, but from 40 numbers that they received over the course of an hour and a half. 
so it's targeted bullying and harassment and and it got to a point where the library had to shut down their phones. This is the kind of this is the kind of stories we need to be talking about and sharing because a lot of people are looking at the headline and just going neo Nazis and far right and look at what they're doing. But actually, what's happening is targeted, engaged coordination of bullying and harassment of people in their workplace to stop an event that someone just doesn't want to happen because they don't like the look of it. And I do want to stress this that. Yes, I'm a drag performer. I'm a cis man, but yes, I'm a drag performer. And this is never just about drag queens or drag story time. The more you chip away at what they're saying, and I've been doing this online, I've been dealing with this a lot in the last six weeks, it becomes the fact that I am a cisgender man in a dress. Uh, the number of events that I regularly do uh, and festivals I do, people have started targeting pictures of me in those festivals saying, keep this person out of the women's toilets. Now, I, there's no reason for me to ever go into it. Even in drag... I don't go into the women's toilets. I go into the men's or the disabled, depending on what I need to do, because I am a man. But the way in which they're, they're trying to make it seem like it's about drag queens and it's really about shutting down trans and gender diverse and gender non-conforming people and children who are just trying to create a space to be seen and express themselves. And it's absolutely not okay. Yeah, and the irony is many of these right-wingers are the ones who wail about cancel culture on the left. And obviously they're engaged in a massive cancellation exercise now, you mentioned Eltham, and that's yep. uh, in the outer suburbs of, of Melbourne here, and you went. You said you went up to the library, did the story time online and then outside. But Eltham was a bit special because the, the angels turned Eltham up. Eltham was amazing. The angels yeah, turned so up. Let, and... let me give you a bit of breakdown to this. Sure. Let me give a breakdown to all of this. So I'm actually a part, one of the founders of the Rainbow Community Angels as well. So um, I've been targeted in this way before in regards to what I do and how I do it. It happened the very first time three years ago when Lyle Shelton put me on a blog post on his website saying, drag queens are not trust with your children. It still sits there if anyone wants to go and have a look at it. Uh, and that was because I was doing a rainbow story time with um, Bendigo Pride as a part of uh, Pride Month in the library in Bendigo. And that got shut down and now the library have figured out how to make sure that they can do things better by the community for that, which is fantastic. Um, and really, every time this kind of wave of leak, keep me away from children came around, it was just, it would fizz out within seconds because the reality is that I'm a diverse performer. I've worked in the community for years. I'm also a journalist and I do breakfast radio. I'm more than one thing. And this idea of trying to paint me as that is odd. But this time has been very different. This time, because of what we've seen, and I, I think it's very specifically what we've seen uh, happen over in the US and the targeted narrative that keeps following over from here, we've seen people decide to get really vocal online and in person about things and they just keep moving around as groups. You know, they're just moving around like crazy from suburb to suburb or council to council to harass it. So I've done this story time at Eltham before. It's a great, wonderful... It was, it's really great, in fact. And this year, um, what, there, have, there have been complaints from a couple of locals before. And one time a person... I walked into the library in drag and a person was like, I don't think it's okay that you're doing this. And I went, what don't you think is okay? And goes, yeah, the story time. And I'm like, well, it's just reading a book to kids. And if you want to come in and see what it's like, you're welcome to. But if you want to disrupt the situation, that's not right for the children. You can have a problem with me, but when you try to disrupt it, that, then you're creating a problem for the families and the children, and that's what's not okay. And that's the thing here, is they're just trying to disrupt. But the reality about what that disruption is, is they just want to cause as many waves as possible because then they can think it's a win. So with Eltham, 
I was doing Rainbow Storytime there, and, and because of the constant targeted harassment that was occurring, um, and then on the advice of both WorkSafe and the police, the decision was made that if, if anything happened to any staff members while they were there, the library and council would be in trouble. So they had to, had to pull it and instead went, let's do a virtual version of it. Now, what we actually did, because the library were aware that the Rainbow Angels wanted to do something, is we recorded it the night before and then put it online. So I didn't actually do the online version live. Um, the Rainbow Community Create Angels are something that's been created out of this craziness that we've seen over the past seven or eight months that's been happening and the targeting of events specifically towards LGBTIQA plus youth that's been going on here in Victoria. And uh, a lot of us have been trying to figure out what can we do, how can we do it? And we kind of started, I started talking about it on the breakfast radio show that I do because obviously it was out there. I was being targeted in regard to it and a lot of people were asking about it. And I just created a narrative of, hey, everyone, let's just remember that Everyone's trying to do the best they can. And a lot of people were really frustrated with councils, but let's remember that they're trying to do the best they can because they're experiencing this level of harassment for the very first time. Why many LGBT, LGBTQIA plus people, uh, this is not a new experience for us. We kind of expect it, which is really disappointing. And uh, we all got together and started thinking, well, we all want to do something and we don't know how. So we kind of coordinated and went, let's create a bit of a plan. And that's the Rainbow Community Angels, inspired by uh, the angels. Actually, if you Google the angels and Matthew Shepard, uh, the ter terrible homophobic um, bullying and death of a young man that happened in America, beating, sorry, not bullying, uh, many years ago. And to sh when the Westboro Baptist Church were at the trial protesting the fact that people were being charged with murder for killing a gay man. Uh, the schoolmates of Matthew stood out the front of the trial and created a pathway with angel wings for the family to not have to see that and to not experience it so they could actually just deal with the trauma of the trial themselves. And that's happened here in Australia as well when Minus 18 were targeted uh, for a youth formal and community members created big angel wings really quickly, got together and just created a positive visual for young people to see that they are welcome and they are seen. So we were inspired by that to take that further in relation to what's happening now. And we decided, okay, let's get together, let's do something, let's use Altham as an example and create in nine days. Uh, we did a call out to community. We did a GoFundMe and bought stuff from Bunnings and created giant angel wings. We had a working bee where everyone just made different wings to try and figure out what was going to work. And we actually did some training of everyone so that not that they could... Um, the trick with the angels is that we want to create safe shelter and block out the hate so that the event is able to happen. So it's not about us getting in the face of anybody. It's actually us about us creating a, a rainbow positive wall that exists to be able to actually sh allow the event to happen and allow people to experience it freely. And we are doing that in conjunction with the councils and, and the libraries or organisations that are doing it. And we're actually all just working together to create a rainbow force field as it was of positivity so that if people want to come and protest they can but they're not getting in the face of young people who just want to experience themselves or people that just want to enjoy the event and the very first time that we did this was at Eltham and because the library were unfortunately unable to do it because of the threats that they'd received they were happy for us to do a rainbow story time out the front of the library and uh, it was pretty amazing there were people there for over three hours dancing to music 
in Angel Wings. Yes, there was a counter-protest against it with speakerphones saying, I don't know what they were saying because I couldn't hear it, but it was a really beautiful thing to realise that there was a safe space that was created by not only the Rainbow Angels but the local community to just stand around and create a shelter so that the children and families could experience Rainbow Storytime. They thought I was only going to read one or two stories. I did it for an hour because I didn't know when I was meant to stop and it was absolutely amazing. Well, congratulations. I saw some video and the angels on one side of the street and a pretty sad bunch of bigots on the other side. And I think that's yeah. that's what we need to establish going forward. We want to make sure that the bigots realise that they are in a tiny, twisted minority. So, congratu are. so congratulations. In so the beautiful thing I want to say, this is one of the beautiful mm. things about the angels, is one of the things, it's about empowering community. So we did this in nine days, and now we're just trying to figure out how to do it a little bit more. There's actually, as we're talking now, the angels are going to be going to another event this weekend. I don't know when you're bringing this podcast out. And we've had requests from quite a few events over Pride Month to see if the angels can come to it. And what we do is talk with them about, well, have you actually received a threat while the, it's a nice thing to see, we kind of go direct them to, okay, well, let's direct you to the police. So in regards to that situation. So we're making sure everyone's going through the proper steps in regard to it. And we're letting people know that this is what we do. Create a protective shelter so that you can allow your event to happen. And it all happens within coordination. But also we make sure that everyone who's coming and being a part of it is trained in regard to just understanding what it's going to mean to stand there all day. You may or may not have wings teaching you how to not respond when someone's being really negative in your space. We make sure that there's counselling available for everyone who's attending as well. So if they need it, they can step away. And we just work together as a unified shield just to allow these events to happen as opposed to people, you're right, just certain small group of people being bigoted and screaming. And, and it's whether online or whether in person, the fact that they think it's important for them to come and disrupt something. When they say to me, keep your hands off my kids, I'm like, cool, where are your kids? If you've brought them to the event, the question I have to you is, if you want me to keep your hands off your children, well, one, I don't put my hands on children, but two, don't bring them. Everyone's welcome to be a part of something, but they're also welcome not to. But when you think the way to stop something is to sh shout and scream while children are in attendance, you've got to really question what side you're on. Yeah. Now, just looking out more broadly, you know, you've mentioned patterns in the US. In your experience, has hatred of trans and queer people increased in the last few years? And where do you think that's coming from? I think the visibility of it is increased. I wouldn't, whether the hatred's increased, I think people are, are suddenly realising that it's been around the whole time. I think they're seeing it a lot more. Look, I, I, social media is the root cause of this and, and misinformation on social media is the cause of this. I'm amazed when I look at mainstream media and when they call certain people journalists that are not journalists. They're not paid or working for something. They've created a YouTube channel and influencer culture has made a part of this as well, where everyone thinks their opinion is the one that needs to be shared. And the problem and the amount of content that's been created about me uh, that I don't even know about astounds me, that calls me everything under the sun. But it's all about misinformation. And it really has, I'm not saying it wasn't here to begin with and people weren't doing it, but it really does stem from um, transphobia that exists in both the UK and the US. I think the fact that it's been allowed to happen politically. An example we'll give, there's a, a book uh, that is currently being discussed 
the title of it's called um, Missing My Mind at the Moment, in Queensland. Um, it was banned in a state in America and then, like, the same week, suddenly a senator in Queensland, or a politician in Queensland, said, we need to ban this book in Australia as well. The book had been around for ages. I've got it at home, but I can't remember the name now. It's a good book. But it's the fact that they're just taking their drops and leads from what they're seeing other countries do. And now, if we look at the reality of the political structure we have here in Australia, what's happening in America is never going to happen here, except the hate is. And they're using this as a smokescreen to attract attack trans and gender diverse people to you know and i i had a good six weeks of online harassment that i'm and and now when they do it now after the idaho Hobbit event at eltham now when they're doing it they just look really sad and pathetic like they just call me fat or say i can't sing and i'm like whatever because they are just being pathetic but it's targeted coordination of online harassment from people that aren't even in the state or country just constantly shouting the same kind of rhetoric down and it's because i think in other countries politics has allowed you know ignorance and hate to be shared on those platforms and therefore it gets pushed out further i imagine if here in australia politicians were held account accountable for the wrong incorrect and bullying things they said in parliament you know they're, they're, they get free reign to say whatever they want in parliament and then when they step out of it that's when they're held accountable for it if they were held accountable for the things they say in parliament suddenly the narr narrative of what they could say would be so much smaller and we'd hear less bullshit is there anything else you'd like to add before we we finish oh look it's a big thing look i'm going to be really frank here like i am in a very good space right now but for six weeks i have received multiple death threats harassment online you know I, I keep getting told that pictures are pictures of me with my nieces and nephews were shared on the internet saying i was a pedophile really disgusting missing misinforming things which has been really gross but for me as an entertainer i know there's a level of uh, the way i put it myself out there and i i shouldn't have to deal with it but i do but that's nothing compared to the experience of trans and gender diverse people that are just trying to live their lives and have to deal with it all the time and they still stand up and step up and say something and point out when things are wrong and we need to make sure that we have their back as well you know the beautiful thing about eltham was that it wasn't just rainbow families that were there it was every family people from all around not just the local community came to stand in solidarity and that's what we need people to be doing Write letters to your councils, letting them know you support them and how can you help in regard to it. Check out Rainbow Community Angels. There's a website now and a Facebook page that you can check out to find out if there's something that you can be doing to be able to help in your own community. Let young people know that their expression of being different is seen, is important and is being heard. You know, I've got a very thick skin. I'm a 45-year-old man and I've been around for a very long time and this has still knocked me for six and I, I'm not even the target of it. There's images of me in America and in the UK on social media calling me a trans person because I keep my sideburns in drag because I love them and they're trying to use that as misinformation towards trans people. What I will say to people is call it out when you see it but don't waste your energy calling it out by a private profile that doesn't stand in the sun showing who they are. People who stand in the sun showing who they are, engage with them if you don't agree with them. Fake profiles or hidden profiles or things, let them stay in the dark because they're just going to go around in circles and make sure you're creating space for people who need to be seen and letting them know that they are okay, especially during Pride Month and especially when we're seeing events getting cancelled or postponed. Absolutely. All right, well, Thanks for your time today, Dean. You're very welcome to give a plug for your websites and upcoming shows. 
Oh, look, you can find, you'll find me in so many different places. You can find me on social media at Frock Hudson or Gina Curie. Just do some Googling. You won't be able to miss me. Um, and you'll be catching me. Look, I'm doing a lot of events during Pride Month all around Melbourne, and I'll also be doing uh, Gay Ski Week Australia in September. Look, there's lots happening. So just get out there and support your LGBTIQA plus communities or any community that's marginalised, quite frankly, and let them know they're seen and heard. Okay, that's fantastic. Thanks, Dean. Wonderful. And my second guest today is Geraldine. So welcome, Geraldine. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. It feels like drag queen story times wasn't even a thing a few years ago. Now the writer's going bananas over them. So what's going on? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. I think there's a few kind of dynamics here and it, it's it's a little bit different depending where, where you are in the world. But I think in Australia... Um, the right has latched on to things like Drag Queen Storytime uh, as well as a, as part of a kind of more general pushback against trans rights in the aftermath of the marriage equality campaign. Uh, and I think that was a period where we saw, you know, a campaign that mobilised around gay and lesbian rights uh, in quite a narrow and limited way. Uh, and the far right, and in fact the mainstream right at the time, and mainstream politics in many ways within, you know, the Liberal Party, um, used um, trans people and particularly trans kids uh, as a way to kind of undermine broader gains and um, progress for LGBTIQ people in general. Uh, and I do think that there was a failure at the time from the left and, and the mainstream marriage equality campaign to take that up. Um, and what we have now uh, is the, the kind of fruits of that failure, I think, and, and the fruits of that attempt um, from, from the right-wing right politics to, um, to, to go hard on trans rights and trans kids and, and undermine um, queer rights in general. Now, it's very obvious that what are known as uh, trans-exclusionary radical feminists or people who sort of loosely come under that banner are pushing this agenda and the Nazis in Melbourne uh, jumped on the bandwagon. But is it them who's driving this agenda overall? I don't think so. Like, I think they play an ideological role uh, that shouldn't be underestimated. So I think, you know, people like Holly Lawford-Smith at Melbourne University and, you know, there's, there's countless others in Australia and, and particularly in the UK and in other places do give a kind of cover to mainstream transphobia, they give it a kind of, um, you know, a, a feminist gloss that is attractive to some people. But I think ultimately this is coming from the centre of politics. Like it was not very long ago, it was like, what, six years ago uh, that we had the Prime Minister at the time, Scott Morrison, talking about gender whisperers in our schools getting into kids' heads. Um, in fact, Anthony Albanese uh, in his election campaign did a dog whistle to transphobia in the, um, it was in the Telegraph when he gave the definition of a woman as an adult human female, which, you know, some people might not know, but within kind of transphobic circles, within um, particularly within trans-exclusionary radical feminist circles, that term is used as a signal or a dog whistle uh, that tells the listener that the person who said it uh, believes in a very biological essentialist view of what a woman is. So I think when Albanese used that term, he was very clear about what that meant uh, and it was pandering to transphobia. Um, but you also don't have to go any further 
than opening the pages of the Murdoch Press to see mainstream transphobia writ large. Like those papers constantly publish articles that generate hysteria around trans people in sports, uh, around around trans, trans children and their access to gender-affirming care. And this is the, the kind of mainstream media that people are consuming every day. So whilst I think the transphobia of people like Holly Lawford-Smith can't be ignored, the fact that there were Nazis marching on the street and kind of attaching themselves to a transphobic rally shouldn't be ignored and is very significant. Um, but we can't lose sight of what is generating this transphobia, which is everyday mainstream politics, right-wing media, right-wing politicians in parliament. Mm. Now, as you say, it's not just an Australian problem, far from it. We hear about the homophobia from the US and there's politicians like DeSantis, who is challenging Trump for the Republican nomination. And he's been pushing really, really hard on what he calls an anti-woke agenda pushing something which has been nicknamed the don't say gay legislation. But it's not just in the rich countries, is it? I mean, just recently, Uganda has passed horrific anti-gay legislation. So given that it's appearing in different countries in slightly different agendas around the world, what are the roots of this hatred? Look, I think ultimately the roots of transphobia and, and homophobia are the capitalist system. Um, and there's, you know, there's a very big story to tell, I think, about the role of the nuclear family uh, under capitalism, the, the centrality of the nuclear family in um, reproducing the new layer of work, you know, a new layer of workers, a new generation of workers um, to man the call centres, man the universities, or I should say, you know, person the call centres, person the universities, person the factories, you know, run the society uh, and, and generate profits. And that nuclear family is rests on the idea of uh, a gender division between, you know, men and women, a rigid gender binary of male and female, uh, and also on reproductive sex. The reality of trans lives and the reality of gay and lesbian bisexual lives is that they challenge all of those things. You know, the existence of trans people and, you know, gender diversity has always existed. We know when we look at, you know, society, pre-class societies that their gender existed in, you know, a, a diverse sort of set of expressions um, that varied immensely between cultures and societies. Um, but under capitalism, uh, the existence of trans people is a fundamental challenge to that gender division between men and women. So I think, you know, in, in that sense, it's, it's very, it, transphobia is generated by the system itself. And that, you know, talking about the global south, I think is important in this because when yeah, there's, there's a long history of the exporting of rigid ideas around sex and gender from the centre of global capitalism uh, through empire into the global south. Uh, so, you know, the, the kind of, if you look all over um, countries that were uh, colonised by the British Empire, for example, you find sections of the law, and in almost every country, they are section 377, and those sections of the law, from of, of the colonisers' law that were imported uh, into, or exported, sorry, from England into those countries, uh, are the laws that criminalise homosexuality uh, and, and diverse forms of gender expression, uh, you know, in, in kind of relation to that. Um, so I do think 
you know, that there's a tendency, I think, a, a, a quite ignorant tendency um, to see homophobic or transphobic ideas in the global south as a kind of as evidence of cultures being backwards or not as liberal or not as progressive as the global north. Uh, but I think, you know, that is absolutely not true. The reality is those ideas, those laws, that oppression came from um, the centre of capitalism, was entrenched in those societies through the process of colonisation and imperialism. Uh, and we're seeing the legacy of that, you know, in, in, in you know, Uganda and other parts of Africa and, and in, you know, in many other places in the global south. It's also true that there are social movements in those places that are fighting those laws uh, and articulating the fight against those laws as part of the fight against um, imperialism in general. I think, you know, India is an example. There was a you know, very significant campaign uh, in India to, to get rid of Section 377 there. The trans-exclusionary radical feminists, or TERFs for short, are part of the anti-trans agenda. We've talked about that. Uh, and they argue that trans people, and they're really focused on trans women in particular, they see them as a threat to all women. But surely, if you're adding to the oppression experienced by one group, aren't you just deepening oppression everywhere? Surely, all women benefit from rolling back transphobia. Yeah, I think that's I think that's absolutely right. And I think, like fundamentally, the the trans exclusionary radical feminist position and. But we'll just say quickly, like, obviously we're, we're using the term trans-exclusionary radical feminist or TERF because that's kind of, that's the term that is used, but I don't think there's anything radical about their ideas. <laughs> you know, I sort of, yeah, they're, they're certainly trans-exclusionary and I think they are feminists. They draw on feminist ideas, um, but they're certainly not radical. But I think, you know, their, their transphobia really uh, rests on a profoundly uh, essentialist view of gender. And what is so, um, in some ways, puzzling about this is that, you know, they, they locate themselves in a history of radical feminism, but radical feminism in the 70s, you know, one of its most important contributions was the challenging of the essentialist idea of gender mm. <laughs> um, and, and actually splitting sex from gender uh, and saying, you know, yes, there is such thing as biological sex, though, of course, there's enormous diversity between uh, and within sex and sexes, um, but that gender is a social construct. Gender is the oppressive construct that says people with these sex characteristics behave in this way uh, and therefore have this place in society. Like, I think the thing that is so frustrating, I think, in the arguments that you get from trans-exclusionary feminists is that it rests entirely on a rigid idea of sex and gender that, you know, someone assigned male at birth uh, is destined for the rest of their lives to uh, be socially male. Uh, and that is just, you know, that rests on the idea that if someone is born a particular way, uh, they have no, that, that, that that determines entirely their role in society. And of course, on the one hand, that's true because of the rigidity of gender roles, uh, but it's also true that people challenge that uh, and that people have experiences and expressions of gender that don't fit with these incredibly narrow and rigid views of what makes, you know, a, a man and a woman. And those, those 
ideas that those constraints are generated by capitalism. Um, so it's ultimately a, a profoundly um, conservative position that the the trans exclusionary feminists take, and one you would think that you know you would think that feminists would be about broadening what it could mean to be a man or a woman, uh, and actually you know celebrating people who refuse to be constrained um, by these rigid categories of gender that capitalism has set for us. Uh, instead. You know, they're, they're, um, they're essentially reinforcing uh, this very conservative view of sex and gender. And in practice, they're making increasingly common cause with people who are outright conservatives. You think of Morrison using Deves as his, uh, as his dog whistle candidate, as an anti-trans candidate to try and rally essentially conservative votes. And then here in Victoria, we obviously had the saga around deeming. But also, it's true that the rally with Posey Parker did not invite the Nazis along, but they certainly did not do anything to go out of their way to distance themselves from the Nazis. And you really have to wonder how people who started in a, uh, in some cases, have been involved in radical feminism for 30 or 40 years, have drifted to a situation when they are at least tolerating common cause with people well to the right. And I think that makes the argument very concrete that if you don't fight all oppression, you end up actually reinforcing your own oppression. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, you see, you know, Holly Lawford-Smith is a regular on Sky News, sitting down with Peter Credlin. You know, it's not just, they're not just passively accepting support from the far right, they're courting them uh, very, very um, explicitly and very consciously. And yeah, it's absolutely right. Like these are groups that have incredibly reactionary ideas about the role of women in society. Um, so yeah, there is a really, uh, it, it does say it all, it says it all, that they are willing to um, to make common cause with the centre-right uh, and with the far-right. Mm. Coming back to practical resistance, obviously we've just heard from Dean about the amazing uh, experience up at Eltham where he and the, the angels uh, defied the bigots and uh, had a story time and performed outside the library and saw off the bigots on the day. How do you think we need to respond in the future? Because it's pretty clear that every time a, a local council, a library, an organisation puts on a drag queen story time, there is a risk that the far right will threaten it or will mobilise in reality. So what are we going to do to turn the tables? Yeah, that's a good question. I think like it's very heartening that Dean and the Angels were there at Eltham and went ahead with the drag queen story time. I think it's really important that we don't give in to the bigots because it does it gives them confidence every time. Like they there's a reason that they're keeping keeping on going with this and they're having some success. They are cancelling the um the story time events. I think going forward we we do have to have a a bit of a view of how can you know, how can this be broadened? Because, you know, it's so, it's fantastic that the, the angels are out there defying the, the bigots, but we don't want them left on their own doing that. Ideally, you would have, you know, 100, 200, 300 unionists there with their union banners making, you know, a human shield between the drag queen story time and the fascists and making it clear that, you know, the, the broader society uh, is against the bigots and, and supports um, drag queen story time going ahead. So I think it is a case of, of broadening it, of drawing in um, the union movement, 
are the the left wing sections, the the progressives, more progressive sections of the Labor Party that don't like what's going on. Um, you know that were disappointed when Anthony Albanese dog whistled to the to um to the transphobes a few years ago, uh, and actually trying to um yeah to make it so that people like Dean and the Angels aren't on a limb, uh, out on a limb. Sorry, they're they're supported um by some real some real muscle. 